Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the 2019 Australian Grand Prix and ask where did all of Ferrari's speed really go? first race of the 2019 Formula 1 season was one of surprises. We headed to Australia expecting Ferrari to set the pace, when in reality they were nowhere. Instead, it was Mercedes that was on top, but it wasn't Lewis Hamilton who won. It was Valtteri Bottas who took his fourth Grand Prix victory, his first since the end of 2017. Huge amount to talk about in this race, and it's really set the scene for a fascinating season. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to take a look over the race first is Andrew Van Leeuwen, a genuine Australian. Yes, I am. G'day. Excellent. We can check the accent. It's, not, it's better than my accent when I do Australian. Oh, go and give it a go. Let's find out. Andrew Van Leeuwen. That's, uh, yeah. No, don't do that anymore. Okay, I'll stop doing that. But I should say, because you've, you've been here doing some F1 coverage for us, but you also cover the Australian supercars mm-hmm. that, that yep. are running here. And, and we have to talk about this before Formula One. You did manage to have a race where two leading drivers took each other out long before the race started. Yeah, on the, uh, on the formation lap. So um, Scott McLaughlin, Cam Waters pretty much in a position where they could run away with the race the Ford Mustang was very very fast here this weekend and um they crashed into each other on the way to the grid which is um definitely quite unique um 
Scott McLaughlin was warming his tyres, which is kind of weird when he was on his way to the grid anyway, um, because it wasn't actually the formation lap before the race, it was just the lap to the grid. Cam Waters had thought he'd seen him, and he hadn't, and um, yeah, that was it for those blokes. So there was uh, wheels hanging off cars before they'd even um, lined up to go racing. That's what we like to see, and the best thing is, that's our Australian Supercars coverage for the year done. Yeah, perfect. All Brilliant. Sorted. Well covered. Thank you for that. Also joined by Scott Mitchell. Have you uh, recovered from the, the madness of the first race weekend? You've been running around the paddock like a lunatic, getting all the latest news for autosport.com and motorsport.com? Uh, no, not at all. I'm uh, I'm about as worse for wear as I'm ever going to be at any point on the Australian Grand Prix weekend. So what better time for us to get cracking and do a podcast? Oh, exactly. What, what time is it? It's it's, it's coming up to 1am on uh, on race night. We're in our, we're in our, uh, our Airbnb in uh, Balaclava. In Mel- Melbourne. 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 Yeah. Say it right, Eddie. Excellent. We're getting there. Don't call me Eddie. So, this is a nice uh, setup we've got here. We've, we have got a live audience, unusually, which includes former Autosport colleague Mitchell Adam, now doing Australian things with, uh, with Supercars. So, Say hello, uh, Mitchell. That's the distant tones of Mitchell Adam, who I don't think ever appeared on. Did you turn up on an Autosport podcast? Or did- Oh, okay. Oh, podcast pioneer. <laughs> yeah, it was the preview that came out sometime after the race. Yeah, we've we've come a long way since uh, since then. That was uh, oh yeah yeah when we had no halcyon days when we had even less idea of what we were doing. Yeah, that's where that's oh, where this, we this is the professional days. Yes, I'm sad to say. Yeah, I'm sad to say you should you should see where we've come from. Well, on that note, we should get on with the race. Scott Mitchell, shall we start with expectations? We talked a lot on this podcast. And on videos and in print and online about how Ferrari was the fastest. We reckon maybe an advantage around perhaps three tenths based on testing. Got here, Mercedes seven tenths faster than Ferrari in qualifying. Lewis Hamilton on pole position, so uh, apparently utterly wrong. Yeah, I've got egg on my face. I'm sure you do too. I'm embarrassed. I'm going to hand in my resignation as soon as we're back in England. Uh, I, it's silly to say that we read too much into pre-season testing because uh, Australia is always a little bit of an outlier. I should also say, reading too much into testing, how many times did I use the word caveat? <laughs> 8,000. Exactly, plenty. Um, but it isn't about being misled or by uh, tr- like trusting too much what you saw because it wasn't just like we looked at the times during pre-season testing and then just went, oh, well, Ferrari are on top, therefore they're going to absolutely... Uh, smash it every single race this season that's not how it works but basically you interrogate the data you check the long runs you check the short runs you check the times that people do on different compounds and you talk to the teams I think that's what a lot of people who because we have obviously had quite a fair bit of stick over the last couple of days we all thought Mercedes we said Mercedes were were struggling and were behind Ferrari but Mercedes were saying the same thing and you can't you can't say that oh I can't believe you doubted Mercedes when we were judging or part of our judgment was being based on what Mercedes were telling us on the record and off the record. So, you know, you've got to give these guys the benefit of the doubt at some well, point. Well, all, all the teams do their performance analysis and everyone was shocked at how fast exactly. Mercedes were. I lost count of the number of times this weekend. Said Red Bull boss Christian Horner said, we all turned up to Melbourne except expecting to get trounced. That was the word he used. So we thought we were going to get trounced by Ferrari. And Mercedes were like, oh, we might be... I, I never really believed um, Lewis Hamilton when he said that we'd, well, we might be up to half a second off. I, I that always really, sounded high. Yeah, I didn't think that was ever going to be possible. And much like Mercedes hasn't found 1.2 seconds, they, were, they weren't they were half a second off in testing 
and then suddenly seven seven temps quicker here. There's obviously loads of factors that that sort of make that situation come into reality. And we're going to get into a fair few of them, I'm sure, on this podcast. But the bottom line is, everyone, every single person came here expecting Ferrari to at least be in the mix with Mercedes, if not a tenth or two ahead. And they got absolutely battered this weekend. Well, the bottom line is that Mercedes came to the second test with a with an all-new car. I think if they'd had that car for the first test, we'd have drawn some different conclusions. But they've they worked well through the second test, got to a reasonable level. They've crunched the numbers and done their analysis since then. And they've hit the ground in great shape here. I don't, I don't think anyone necessarily doubted Mercedes would come on very strong. I think I think I tipped Mercedes and Hamilton to win the championship, did you I? You know you did. You're just saying it like that. It's just like, no, oh, no, I think, I, I, like, I think I'm a genius. Yeah, I, th- I think... I, I mean, the reason I did it is because that's not the genius move. You go, you go with previous form, don't you? But... Once we got here, it was interesting because on, on Friday, I was quite sceptical about the pace of Ferrari. We've seen them struggle a bit on Friday before. The, the gap was something like eight and a half tenths, which did look big. And in fact, it was a bit bigger than it really was. But when I said that it, it, I'd expect it to come down a lot more, I expected it to come down far more than a tenth or so. Uh, they got off. So where was the Ferrari pace? Why were they not quick? So Ferrari, basically, the, the, the honest answer from Sebastian Vettel was that he just didn't have anywhere near as much grip as he had in, in pre-season testing. The car didn't feel anywhere nearly as well-balanced. And speaking to team principal, Mattia Bonotto, after the race, he said from FP1 onwards, the car just wasn't very settled. They tried various different setup approaches. None of them worked. By the time they got to qualifying, they're locked in because you get Park Ferme com- uh, conditions. You can't make any changes for the race. They weren't quick in qualifying. And Bonotto just said what you saw in the race was just an extension of that. They were seven tenths off the pace over one lap in qualifying they weren't suddenly going to make up all of that in, in race trim maybe, maybe you could argue that they'll find a little bit more but they they looked all at sea and I think the only silver lining was probably Charles Leclerc's second stint that looked quite strong he, he ran longer in the in the first stint sort of did what uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton did and he, he caught Vettel towards the end of the race and was only denied a chance of, of beating his four, four-time world champion teammate at the first attempt because Ferrari basically went Hang on, guys. There's only a few laps left of this one. You're not fighting for the win. This is probably this isn't worth like risking a silly accident over. Let's just bank the points and go home. But it, it's a it's a weekend that's prompted a lot of soul searching at Ferrari. They don't have the answers. They don't understand why they were quick. But again, it just goes back to what we were saying. Every single person expected Ferrari to be in the mix, and Ferrari, as much as anybody, are absolutely shocked that they weren't. Let's go to our Australian specialist. Albert Park's a bit of a weird circuit. Do you think this is representative of? where Mercedes are, where Ferrari are, where Red Bull are. Well, that's what I just found interesting when you said you think they're going to be soul-searching after this. Like, do you think so? Or do you just go, well, this is Albert Park and weird things happen here? Because we talk about being an outlier in terms of finding performance, but maybe you can lose performance in that regard as well. Because obviously the car hasn't lost downforce since testing. They didn't get in the window. And we should know that last year, Mercedes, Lewis Hamilton was on pole by something like six and a half tenths. And then we went to the next three races and Ferrari was on pole on the more orthodox track. Well, some of them are orthodox back. He's not the most standard, but it was a bit of a false read last year as well. Well, the curious thing about that is that uh, Sebastian Vettel said this evening that actually, do you know what? Cards on the table. It's been a year. We don't have to keep these secrets anymore. Uh, Ferrari turned up to Melbourne last year with a pig of a car. They, uh, Vettel said that they had to dial in a load of understeer just to try and get the rear under control. And that meant that they had a really compromised package that they'd taken from testing, taken to Melbourne. And that was the reason they were so far off. And then by the time they went to Bahrain, it wasn't just that the circuit had changed completely. They'd actually 
improved the car a lot and all of a sudden they had the car that they they thought they'd had though they thought they would get when they first went testing and so Vettel said it's different this year what's I think what's confused them is that all the reading that they're getting from the car even here it's kind of like well it should be working like there's no reason for it not to be working it just it just isn't so they're they're trying to work out what it is it, it these these cars especially on these Pirelli tires they're so peaky they're so sensitive how many times have we seen Mercedes massively struggle for performance because they've just not got in that in that tire window and it, it would be overly simplistic to say that it's just oh Ferrari just had a bad day I think Mercedes had a mega weekend Ferrari had a, an off par weekend that's why Red Bull was able to get in there ahead of the Ferraris and that sort of a, makes up the gap you know if you have two or three temps either way all of a sudden boom you're you're absolutely nowhere but surely you wait until after Bahrain to start going we're in big trouble here you probably wait until after China as well. Just Bahrain, China. Baku's a bit of a weird one. I think they'll be. At, I, I think they'll be waiting to get back to Barcelona. To be completely honest, before they go, well, how much trouble are we in? But they'll have a good reading in Bahrain and China because the Ferrari has been quick there, especially last year. It's a good. It's a good example because basically what you have is you have a kind of a performance model you build as you go through the season. As more testing happens, more races, and it gets more accurate. And then of course it's always changing because development happens and development's not always linear from team to team so we will see i think with each of these first few races we'll kind of get more information because it's a good range of races different challenges different demands so i think we'll get a feel for it. i think one thing we can be sure of though is that mercedes that second test upgrade they got it working well they got it working even better here and that has definitely i mean i don't, I don't really expect ferrari to go to Bahrain and be three tenths faster i think you kind of have to say mercedes are now in the in the box seat but we'll we'll get more data in a in a couple of weeks uh well let's let's come back to the the kind of race as a whole because i think it was important to tackle that uh, that surprising performance first but valtteri bottas avl mm. nobody was really talking about him except for scott mitchell who on our on our um intercontinental yeah. live <laughs> weekend preview show did get excited about uh Valtteri Bottas on the, on Saturday uh, Saturday morning. That was mainly a, like it was mainly ironic excitement. It was kind of a we're all sort of we're all sort of doubting him or not even doubting him. We're all sort of like not even considering him as a serious person. We've all talked about Hamilton, Vettel, Leclerc, Verstappen, Rebel and Honda, Mercedes versus Ferrari, etc. <laughs> no one seemed to give, including me and all of us. No one gave Bottas a second thought. I just said I'd love it to see him just stick it on pole and win, and he came so close to doing pole yesterday and I just thought oh, okay he's missed it Hamilton's won so when he got into the lead at the start I was sort of thinking good for you good. And, to, and to come back to the question I was trying to ask you AVL before <laughs> I decided to branch off into another road question for some some reason is one Bottas basically won the race because he he got the lead at the start and he pulled away Hamilton had a bit of floor damage from from lap four that held him back but it was it was Bottas's win fair and square so it was probably his best uh his best race but we heard this uh exclamation shall we say on the on the slowdown lap and uh what was the phrase you used in our what we did one of our videos straight uh not long after the race what was, what was the he's phrase got a bit of mongrel that? a good good aussie saying he's got a bit of mongrel about him this year and that's what so coming back to i don't want to shine too much light on uh on scott's amazing prediction but um you did also say that uh if he did go and win it would be it's what you want to see but it would also be a bit of an uninspiring start to the season because Bottas isn't almost the most uh, exciting chap getting around, but he kind of disproved that today because he did, you know, just the way he attacked the, the race as a whole, um, and then that little bit of um, 
flamboyant language on the cooldown lap. Like that's kind of an edge that I don't know that we've really seen from him yet. And it's it's fun. Like if that's what we're, if if that's the new bodice, the bad boy bodice, this is that's cool. Because it was interesting because his his message was basically expletive deleted you to persons unspecified. And later on when he was asked, he said, "Oh, they'll know who who they are." So the thing I liked is it was that because I think one of the questions about bodice. We know he's a fast racing driver. He's a good racing driver. He's a he's a good guy. Whether he really had that ruthlessness that you've got to have in elite sport, it's all up. It's all in the head, isn't it? But he's gone away. He was crushed at the end of last season. Remember, Scott in Abu Dhabi. He was like, I just want to get it over and done with. He slumped in the championship. Really bad end to the season. He done like six or seven fifth place finishes in yeah, a row yeah. or something. Yeah, hadn't it, was, he? it was awful. It, it just fizzled out to to nothing. But clearly, he's gone away. He's got he's got sort of his head down. He's come back with that that edge. It's and, the beard. Well, that's the thing. We have talked about this on the podcast before. He's got the beard. As evil Bottas. As per TV convention. It's not nasty. Evil Bottas, yeah. But I, evil I evil Bottas. The thing is, because because normal Bottas is such a such a likable character, even evil Bottas, he moves into the evil spectrum. That still makes him a perfectly a perfectly likable chap, but just with that little bit of that little bit of edge, that little bit of mongrel. Well, this this is the thing. So the person, the same person who on his cool down lap, you know, got over the radio. His engineer's trying to say, "Well, hey, well done, lad. You've just won the Australian Grand Prix. You absolute legend." And Bottas is just like, "To whom it may concern," and then basically tells him where to go. Bleak it's you. cool delivery. I, I like it's it. Really I, 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 it was I, so I've never chill, been a bigger Bottas fan than I am right now. That I reckon fantastic. he spent one of his motivating factors over the winter. He's like, "Yeah, I'm going to go and win in Australia. I'm going to do that." Also, he, he, you, know, you know, you do that, don't you? When you kind of want to absolutely give someone what for, and you like have it in your mind. Oh, this is how it'll go, and I'll say it the perfect way, and I'll demolish them. Yeah, I can't tell you the number of times I thought I'm going to let this person know how I feel by using the word "whom." That's a that's not an aggressive word, is it? Very true. It's obviously it's also one of the rare occasions where you hear a team radio message where someone starts it with "to whom it may concern." <laughs> it's very very polite, but. The point I was going to make is that the person who delivered this message, this really aggressive message, and he was quite like he he he'd been pretty shouty since since um, since qualifying, to be honest. When he was saying like blown away by Merck's performance, and then had that message uh, when he when he, and then when he spoke after the race, you know, he made it very clear. He said it's the best race I've ever done in my life. Um, he he was super super chuffed. It got that sort of aggressive, slightly arrogant. Sort of maybe showing that sort of mean streak that we want from him, and then getting towards the end of the press conference, and um, the way the press conference works is obviously you have like a mediator, and then if you if you got a question, you raise your hand, and they say, "Yep, this person, blah blah blah." It gets to the end, and they says, "Oh, time for one more one one last question," and someone asks a perfectly valid question about fastest lap, the fastest lap bonus point, and uh, Bottas sort of gets to the end of his answer, and his answer is pretty much like tapered off and he's pretty much finished and he sort of looks at the looks at, at, at Tom Clarkson the guy who's basically like the compare of the the press conference and he says you say it was the last question and sort of TC nods and he goes okay and then he paid tribute to Charlie Whiting he dedicated the race to the late long-serving FIA race director Charlie Whiting and I thought wow this is like your this is your moment this is like your 15 minutes of everybody saying oh, this guy's a legend and he gets to talk about how great he is and he's got Hamilton, a five-time world champion, sat next to him saying, what an exceptional performance, this guy's the daddy. And like Bottas sort of just stops everything and that's when you sort of go, ah, so you've got nastier on track but you're still, you know, a decent dude off it. That That's it. That's important for me because he is a likeable guy. And the, the other important thing is now he's got to sustain this. You know, a one-off is, is fine but he needs to be, 
that the thing that was really Im- impressive, uh, actually, that's not because I've put together uh, for, for Autosport magazine, the, the qualifying sidebar, and I'll have to change it a little bit because the way it interacts with the main report, but the kind of angle I, I took writing on Sunday morning was like, in the excitement about the pace of Mercedes, people kind of overlooked how quick Bottas was. Now, he was just over a tenth behind Hamilton, but if you looked at his ideal lap, it was six thousandths off. He had provisional pole after the first runs because Hamilton made a bit of a mistake in in, uh, in in turn one. And while you can put these asterisks against it, you can say, well, Hamilton did have that problem in the race, so that flattered Bottas with his margin of victory. It's, it was genuine performance, but I guess the key is, Aviel, it's sustaining it, isn't it? It's it's being, you know, it's all right being a bit of a mongrel for a day, but you know, he's got to be it for the whole season. Yeah, but I mean, it, it certainly it helps when you start well, doesn't it? When you kick things off on the right, you get into because, a spiral, an upward spiral. Last yeah, year, you got into a downward. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So last year it went the wrong way, and this year he's got a great opportunity for it to go the right way. So he's he's got one up, and I guess, I mean, um, is Lewis Hamilton uh, is Lewis Hamilton still? Shakeable? Can it be shaken up by this? If 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 Valtteri goes and has a bunch of good weekends in a row, and suddenly he is quick enough, and I guess the big thing was this weekend, or, or sorry today, when he got in front at the start, you just reference how close he was on pace. He knew that he could win the race at that point. He wasn't going to get pegged back and told to slot him behind at any point. He knew it was his race to win. He went and won it. That's the sort of performance that once upon a time probably could shake Lewis. Can it? Can it still? I think so, especially as uh, one of the most telling moments of the race came when I think when Bottas pumped in the fastest lap of the race with uh, one lap to go, just like a proper, this is my race. I, I wasn't just like managing it and getting there at the end. Like that's how much pace I still had in, in the locker. And it came after Hamilton had gone over the radio to Bono, his race engineer, and said, I need that extra point. So, and, bon- and Bono told Hamilton... I think he told him Stratmo 10's available, so, you know, crank it up. And uh, and Lewis couldn't do it. I mean, Bottas had fresher tyres. He'd, he'd run, I think he'd run eight laps longer, I think, than his teammate in the first stint because Ham- Mercedes has had to pit Hamilton earlier than they would have liked to cover off an early Sebastian Vettel stop, um, which put Vettel and Hamilton on a pretty crappy strategy, really, compared to the other leaders. So Bottas had fresher tyres and everything, but I still think that was... Hamilton made it clear. He didn't say... I'd quite like to go for the fastest lap. He said, I need that point, Bono. And Bottas made sure he didn't get it. And I just think that's I think that's a nice little early win for Bottas as well as the actual win. And again, Bottas, basically the team had sort of said to him, no, don't worry about it. it they, they'd ruled out the chance of doing another pit stop to get some fresh rubber, even though he had enough of a gap. And it was kind of, no, just take the points, don't worry. So he kind of defied an instruction and he went after it anyway and, and got it. And I think that's uh, that reflects. Well, I think the important thing is, because we know, Bottas is out of contract at the end of the year. Esteban Ocon, excellent driver, is there waiting in the wings, loitering around in the garage, waiting to take his seat. But I remember last year at Sochi when Toto Wolff was getting a load of negative questions about the team orders they did there. And I was ch- chatting to him afterwards and he said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, nobody, nobody really likes to see that, but I see why he did that. And kind of, I sort of said, well, to be fair to, to Bottas, if he doesn't want that to happen to him, don't be so far behind in the championship. So it's kind of everything in his career he's done up to now is to get into this top car. Now he's in it. He's done. He's done pretty well so far. But he said. But he said before the season, oh, I've not achieved anything in Formula One. And so I think he's realised it's like right. I'm in this top car. I'm not just going to fade away after a few seasons and a few wins. I'm going to do something with this. And I think he's come into the season determined to do it. And how it plays out over twenty twenty one races, 
we'll see. But he couldn't have made a better start. Especially as um, he he knows that it is even even after last year, and even though Ocon is waiting in the wings, he knows that that Mercedes future is in his hands. Because I know what you mean about him being out of contract at the end of the year, but he did sign a two year deal. It's a one plus one, isn't it? So it's he needs to. He's the man in possession. Yeah, he needs to make. It, he needs to basically. It's it's easier to get Mercedes to trigger a second year, isn't it? Than it is to make like a, get a, a new deal in, in place. If you if you see what I mean. So the the question mark over Bottas is obviously okay. Two years in a row now we've seen him massively slump second half of the year. So is that going to make Mercedes sort of wait a little bit longer before they actually confirm? But how many times last year did we say how different Bottas's season could have been if he'd got the got a win earlier? In the end, he didn't get one at all. Well, there you go. He's already won up on on twenty on twenty eighteen after one race, so he must be he'll be in uh, he'll be in pretty damn good spirits right now, and he'll he's going to Bahrain, a place where he was on pole in 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 seventeen, um, China uh, China after that where he he, he should have won last season, Baku where he should have won last season, so he's you know, it's not like he's out of favour or anything like that. Like this, we could treat this as a one off, and now Hamilton's gonna lead the way I, I I don't see any reason why Bottas can't build momentum over the next few races uh, we should quickly mention Hamilton he wasn't actually too disappointed really I mean he finished second so yeah he'd, he'd like to have won but he was asked you know is it disappointing things started this way meaning the, the car problems but Lewis said no we know we've got a one two 18 points I would imagine if you're Lewis Hamilton AVL you'd be looking and thinking yeah that red lot with miles behind this is great I can, I can live with being second on this one yeah that's definitely the um that's definitely the silver lining because um, if we were just going off all the uh, all the data and all the Ferrari hype that you guys gave us from Barcelona, I blame you both personally. Um, <laughs> then he would have been. Do it, thinking, would do it all again based on the available date. <laughs> he would have been thinking, well, I might be third at the very best, so to be second could be a bonus, um, and to be second and know that the, that Mercedes is obviously it's either the best car or it's at least on par or it's very, very close depending on what we see in Bahrain in a couple of weeks that it's, um, that, you know, he's he's still in a pretty good position. He didn't win five championships by accident. We should move down the order a little bit where we have Max Verstappen finish third. Now, Scott, you're always very close to Honda. This is the first Honda podium in Formula 1 for Honda engines since they came back in with McLaren in 2015. The last podium was uh, 2008 British Grand Prix, of course, in that wet Grand Prix dominated by Lewis Hamilton, then in his, uh, you know, in his second season. Big weekend, really, for Red Bull Honda, isn't it? We knew, we well, we, we thought we knew they were going to be strong this year, certainly no worse off than with Renault. And everything that was hinted at in testing was kind of validated with them this year. Well, it's actually their first, um, first sort of hot podium on merit since, I guess, 2006, because 08, the British Grand Prix, as you say, rain hit. Rubens Barrichello and the works Honda team did a very good job, but that car was awful, wasn't it? <laughs> the the 08 Honda was, I uh, can't remember if it was worse or slightly better than the 07 Honda. I have a feeling it was slightly worse, but... They were both pretty bad. They were, pretty terrible. They were both sort of like Williams-ish, weren't they? That we see of yeah, they, they, were, they were not Actually, good. no, they weren't. They weren't like, like completely off the back, were they? Um, but I digress. Uh, yeah, it's very important for... Uh, very important weekend, very important result for Honda. They're under pressure this year. They've... Uh, Back in the spotlight with Red Bull, they've um, they've got to convince the the you know the the stakeholders in the Honda parent company that F1 is worth persevering with. What is it? 15, 16, 17, 18, fifth year since they've come back. They've got nothing. They've had nothing to show for. They didn't have a podium 
in four years of, of competing, having revived the famous McLaren-Honda partnership, that turned to ashes. So this is enormous. First race, first race with Red Bull, uh, Max Verstappen talking it up, saying, you know, I can already feel a difference. Mercedes giving them a massive shout-out after qualifying on Saturday. Toto Wolff said that the uh, the data traces, the speed traces, showed that, that Honda had made a huge step forward, and you could see it was a different... Toto said it looked like a different Red Bull in a straight line. And then come race day today, I mean, imagine a couple of years ago you'd said that a Honda-powered car would catch and catch and pass the lead Ferrari and then catch and put pressure on the second Mercedes. That's that's evidence of uh, of the progress Honda has made. It's obviously difficult for us to say where Red Bull would have been with Renault and if Honda is actually sort of better or worse or on the, to the same level as where Renault would be, but... I think it's just evidence of the fact that Honda really is a credible competitor in F1 now. And F1 is stronger for that. It needs multiple competitors, not just on the teams and drivers side, but on the engine side as well. So I think it's a, I think it's a significant result all round. Yeah, I think we can be pretty positive they're going to win a race this year. Monaco. Monaco yeah, is the one you'd be certainly I haven't changed my opinion. Let's, uh, let's uh, move on, well, move back to Ferrari because not only did Verstappen pass Vettel, Vettel then finished 35 seconds <laughs> behind. Yeah, what was going on there, Scott? You were you spent a bit of time uh, in the Ferrari motorhome chatting to a few people at the end of the race. Yeah, just um, I think they were struggling for pace, struggling to keep the tyres alive. So Vettel basically went into race management and tyre management mode. And of course, he'd already made a relatively early stop and triggered that Hamilton stop. So exactly, yeah. So I think they were. I think he was hanging on as such, but I think he realised quite quickly that um, he was a sitting duck compared to uh, when it came to trying to hold off Verstappen, he tried, he failed, got um, beat pretty badly there and eventually just sort of slipped further and further back. I think Leclerc got within DRS range at one point but then there was the uh, the team orders situation I think everyone thought that, thought was coming. Well, there, was a, there was a 14 lap uh, offset in terms of tyre life in Leclerc's favour but yeah it was interesting to see they they made that order. I mean because they, they talked about being conservative and not wanting to risk anything. There would have been no risk in letting in letting Leclerc go past. I suppose they didn't want to end up with him battling, but it's I, I don't really have a problem with him doing that because we've questioned them in the past for not being sensible when they when the, the I mean, chance arose. I, if you were Leclerc, you'd be thinking, "Hmm, I'd quite like to go on there." Then. Yeah, you probably you probably I, I don't know if he made hmm uh, in the in the car himself, but. I I, I kind of get it. I, I know that people want to see him race, and I, I get the idea that it would have been really easy to just tell Vettel to move aside for Leclerc. But ultimately, um, on on what basis do you make that decision? Because Ferrari were the reason that Vettel stopped so early, not Sebastian. So do you punish Vettel because of a team error and therefore let Leclerc go? The only fair way to resolve that is to let them fight and just say, right, Sebastian, you're on your own. If you want fourth, you're going to have to beat Charles likewise to Charles and they basically decided four or five laps from the end fighting over fourth guys like this isn't this just isn't worth risking tripping over and we don't want to implement team orders because then that sets a, a precedent so it's it's difficult because to me it wasn't like a complete clear-cut team order situation Leclerc said so can I so can I go at him and the team said no don't do that and also drop back because also by doing that it gave Leclerc the chance to go for fastest lap because obviously he gave himself a few seconds but I don't know it, it, it for me it wasn't the most offensive bit of um, team management I don't know what you thought AVL yeah no it seemed I, I, I 
I was going to mention the fact that he actually asked the question. Charlotte, she says, you know, what do I do here, guys? Uh, and he doesn't seem to crack crack it when he's told not to uh, not to do that. So, but it was like you said earlier when we were talking about Ferrari that it's not like they were fighting for the win. So, what would they have done if they were fighting for the win? I guess it's unusual you'd have that discrepancy in tire condition if they were running one two. But what do they do if they do find themselves in that position or if they had it? Well, it's going to be one of the big stories for Athens. You can see Leclerc would have wanted to do it because he had a good go at trying to pass Vettel at the start, and in fact ended up slipping back behind uh, Verstappen, didn't he, uh, uh, with that move. So, you know, Leclerc is someone who wants to make his mark. I think it's slightly different if, they were, if they're going for the win because they're banking on Vettel being their sort of guide for the championship. So the idea when the whole reason team orders at Ferrari are in the spotlight is because of what Bonotto said pre-season, where he said if there's a situation that merits it, we will prioritise Vettel because he's got to be the guy that we're leaning on at the moment, especially when Leclerc's finding his feet. But if it's the first race of the season, evidence that Leclerc's not needing to find his feet and they're miles out in front, and Leclerc has earned his shot at, at victory, you know, give Ferrari the benefit of the doubt, may, maybe they wouldn't. You, it's impossible to answer with, with, with certainty either way. Um, but I just, in this scenario, it kind of, to me, it kind of made sense. I think Leclerc had already proved his point by getting up to the back of Vettel. And he, of course, he would have wanted to beat him, but it can't have been that controversial because he wouldn't have asked. If, if it's going to be a case of, right, I'm, I don't care, I'm, I'm doing the best for me, sort of like a multi-21 situation. With... You'd, you'd wait to be told, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so the fact that he checked, it obviously meant that... The... I, I think also it's a good low-stakes day to be a good team player, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So to sort of show, actually, I'm going to say, yeah, should we do it? No, I completely agree. But, yeah, you're not, not going to go against the team or to try and take fourth place. You wouldn't eh? see bad boy Bottas doing that. He would have been right into it. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, the uh, the mongrel would have uh, would have taken the place. Should we have a little bit of a look at the midfield in F one's Class B, as some people don't like us calling it, but it clearly is Class B, as expected. Haas dominated uh, one two on the grid, as it were, for Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen. End up with uh, with Magnussen taking sixth place. A great weekend in some ways for Haas, but also AVL. They reprised one of their greatest hits from the uh, from the recent Netflix documentary. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's crazy to think that you'd have another wheel nut problem um, this time around for Romain Grosjean. Um, another, you know, that cost more points. They talked about how they'd done three hundred pit stops, or was it something like that? They'd up their practice so much, and then um, and then another problem. Um, I believe there was is something about damaged. Yeah, well, they had a, they had a long pit stop, about a ten second odd pit stop, uh, when he stopped um, uh, on on lap fifteen, and the front left was the one that was slow, and there was some kind of damage to the wheel nut that eventually gave out about fourteen laps later, I think it was. Yeah. So it wasn't exactly the same when they just didn't get it on tight, but just yeah. I don't, I don't think Grosjean was discriminating between the two scenarios too much when I. <laughs> When I uh, spoke to him in the mix zone afterwards, um, I sort of mentioned something about deja vu and he was just like, yeah, three years in a row I can't get a result here. Um, I think he said he does, he thinks that Melbourne doesn't really like him all that much. But it's just uh, it's just drop points at, at a time of the season where they can really, um, you know, get out in that sunshine and make some hay. Um, they have with one car but not with the other one. And, and we know how tight that midfield battle is. It seems unlikely they're always going to be leading that battle. Um, so you've got to take those opportunities, and they only did half a job of that. 
We should also talk about the rest of the midfield and Renault. Nico Hülkenberg was the nearest challenger to, to Magnussen in seventh place, but AVL, you're a resident Australian, so you're probably best placed to talk about Daniel Ricciardo, whose his debut for Renault didn't go quite as expected. And we should say, Daniel Ricciardo is, is, as you'd expect, huge news here. You know, he's on he's on billboards. Every third spectator at Albert Park today seemed to have a, a yellow hat on. I remember being down at Turn One on Friday when he first came out on track in FP1. And there was a huge cheer from the uh, from the grandstands. So this was Ricardo's weekend to show, yeah, we can do something in in Renault. Not a great qualifying. Ended up uh, ended up twelfth. A little bit of traffic on his outlap on his second Q2 lap. Then admitted he didn't do his didn't do the best possible job he could have done. But nice launch. He's there thinking a few places made up here. Great, we'll be in the points in this race. Yeah, and then yeah, it was going pretty well until he's um, I think his front wing almost got to turn one before he did. Um, he's just um, yeah, he made the decision to put two wheels into the grass. He saw he was much quicker off the line uh, than uh, than Sergio Perez was. Um, he saw Perez coming across to the right. He wasn't sure if he was going to keep coming or not. He thought, oh, I'll just play it safe. Drop a couple of wheels in the in the. Uh, on the grass because he said he felt the momentum would he'd still be able to go past him, and it turns out as he described it there was a gutter ditch there, and the next thing the uh, the front wing was gone, um, and that's his race done. And regardless, he ended up retiring for reasons unknown at this point, but the race was done right there and then, and it was incredibly deflating for the crowd, and um, yeah, just disappointing, disappointing. And I guess so much build up goes into this Grand Prix for him, and to have it all just disappear in front of you like that within seconds of the race starting yeah just devastating he said afterwards he said he was flat he said he was drained um not just because of what happened in the race but because of just how how much energy goes into the whole uh grand prix australian grand prix week for him but like just how disappointing for it all to just disappear like that so quickly yeah well at least nico hulkenberg came up with a decent result i think probably we expect we expect the renault to be kind of up there close to Haas and they kind of were in the end even though not, not in qualifying so Hulkenberg at least salvaged something there and he's ahead of Kimi Raikkonen in the Alpha and he wasn't on the uh, the best strategy either was he no was... Well, well actually mentioning Kimi Raikkonen he kind of triggered that because Raikkonen basically managed to in eliminating one of his own tear-offs from the car managed to get it stuck in the car so actually it was a cooling problem that led to him stopping pretty early so uh so yeah we saw Raikkonen stopped on lap 12 he was the first of the regular pit stoppers should we, should we say rather than obviously Kubica and Ricardo came in for the damage at the start and he actually triggered that midfield series of stops with Hulkenberg and Perez and, and Magnussen later and uh, it was actually just through through chance because he, he blocked it with his own his own uh, tear off but yeah tight between uh, between those three and in fact behind Raikkonen in eighth were the people who really suffered from that following those those pit stops because Perez they qualified well lost a few places but stopped relatively early and ended up down in 13th. Lando Norris, of course, ended up... You see, that's a, that's a valiant effort to open a, open a can by one of our by one of our studio audience. Can we, can we mention this? Because <laughs> Mitchell Adams just gone into the bathroom to try and open a beer as quietly as possible I, and it's amplified it through the house. Yeah, let's go into the most echoey... Did you not... There's a, there's a guitar inexplicably parts over here. Did you not think about putting it in the body of that? Just... <laughs> Next time says Mitchell Adam. Well, it's uh, we are in Australia, so yeah, there, there's a tradition of opening a few, uh, opening a few cans. But uh, we appreciate your attempt, if nothing else. 
<laughs> if not your execution. Uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about, yeah, the midfield. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think kind of that Haas, Renault, Alpha, the Toro Rosso is pretty, pretty quick. But Lance Stroll came through from missing out in Q1 to take ninth place. He ran longer and then gained some uh, some trap position and finished ahead of Daniel Kvyat. I guess the interloper in the midfield in a bad way was Pierre Gasly Scott, 11th place. A pretty disappointing weekend for him on his uh, Red Bull debut. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know it wasn't his fault that he was starting so far down. He got uh, mugged off a little bit, to put it mildly, by Red Bull misjudging uh, the, the the track evolution and how to execute Q1 properly. So he got knocked out straight away in qualifying. Um, having said that, if Max Verstappen had started that race down where Gasly did, do you think he would have failed to score points? No, I, th- I think. I mean, Gasly was pretty close to scoring points. I think Verstappen. Would have done it. It's difficult for Gasly. It's been, you know, pre-season testing a couple of shunts, been a little bit difficult, and then the Q1 thing will have further kind of dented confidence. Not an easy track to overtake on, but you know, if Verstappen can pass a Ferrari on not identical strategies, but Gasly had fresher tyres and a faster car than the people in front of him. Exactly. I know that it was a little bit different because he was caught in a bit of a DRS train. So the people he was trying to overtake were getting straight line boosts. So it's kind of like that's, that, that does make it more difficult. Yep. Um, but just, I just don't think there was any excuse not to bag a few points there. I think he's just got to put this down as one of those weekends where things don't quite go right. Uh, he didn't necessarily salvage it as well as he could have done, but it could have could have gone better for him in qualifying through. Uh, was, I, was, I was quite behind him, impressed by Lando Norris. He did a mega job in qualifying, I thought. That McLaren's not really a Q3 car. They were thinking, right, well, let's get it out of Q1. That'd be all right. They were thinking kind of like 14th place, that kind of thing. So he, he put it eighth on the grid and then he made a stop and he got stuck behind Giovinazzi in the the Alpha who in the Alpha who ended up running long and creating this fantastic train behind him. And it took Norris quite a while to get past him. I spoke to Lando after the race. I think he was a little bit, not disappointed with himself, but I think he learned in that race how he could have passed Giovinazzi quicker. So I think if he'd been in that situation again, he'd have, he'd have found a way past faster and then that would have kept him in the battle for points. But It was a shame to see his race compromised being stuck behind a car that did have a fair bit of damage. Giovinazzi had yeah. a scruffy race, but that was because his car was uh, fairly badly wounded, wasn't it, early on? Yeah, he had uh, he had some contact with the McLaren, he said. Uh, I presume it must have been Sainz. I'm sure yeah, right, checking the footage shortly. Right sort of area of the grid. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. So yeah, difficult, difficult weekend for Giovinazzi, and yeah. But even so, I was impressed by impressed by Norris. He was ahead of Sergio Perez in thirteenth. Yeah, promising, promising starting position, but again, ended up having to make that reactive pit stop, and uh, it didn't go didn't go so well. The 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 discouraging thing for Norris and McLaren is how far away they fell from the teams in front of them, because it's okay, it's fine that 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 car isn't good enough for eighth on merit. Like that, that's fine, but I, I do wonder sort of where, where they would end up if they didn't start with that track advantage. I think it's difficult to judge because of the impact on the tyres of being stuck behind Giovinazzi, and Science actually had made a reasonably good start and probably could have been in that mix for points as well had uh, you not retired. But the, the worrying thing there is, remember Science? Uh, we were at McLaren on Saturday afternoon, weren't we? Where Carlos was really enthusiastic about Renault. He was saying. Well, you know, I've been with Renault for a bit and it's been a bit disappointed, but actually the, the, the performance boost they've got is, is real. So he was actually talking up Renault quite enthusiastically and then 
MG UK failure in the race. And I spoke to him after the race and I said, well, you're positive yesterday. How disappointing is this? And he's like, oh, yeah, it, it is a worry. And, uh, yeah, it seems that's not the first problem that Renault have encountered this year in that, that sort of area. So let's let, let's see. They've got performance. Have they got, have they got reliability? Well, there's plenty of question marks over Renault. This is why we said before the start of the season it was difficult to believe them because it constantly goes around in circles with them, doesn't it? And seeing the McLaren pull off early on in smoke and then flame is an image that we've seen a fair few times in the V6 Turbo Hybrid era, but uh, we're used to seeing that. We've, we got used to seeing that with uh, an engine that's now powering a podium finishing car. So uh, it's um, it's a it's a shame for McLaren. They don't seem to be able to escape these setbacks. Um, but, but it was just least... a negative day, wasn't it? Saturday was so positive for them. Hmm. And I, I, think the, badly. I, th- I think in the final analysis, as we expected, they are in that midfield group. I mean, Hass was looking very strong, but they're, they're close enough. And if their car doesn't have fundamental things holding about like last year's, they can develop it. So I'd say it's, I'd say it's not too bad for McLaren. It's all right. They're about where expected to be, maybe fractionally, fractionally ahead of it. We haven't quite got a clear read on the relative pace of racing point. Although the Toro Rosso is a pretty quick car, although it's a tricky one to drive. The drivers are hanging on to that. Uh, and I was quite impressed with Kvyat actually on his return, getting that tenth place, despite the fact he did have a brief off in the race. Um, well, we should, before we wrap up, address a slightly more sombre topic, which has cropped up when Valtteri Bottas, you mentioned Scott, dedicated the, the victory to Charlie Whiting. Of course, we had the, the shocking news on Thursday morning when we were at the, the circuit that, that Charlie Whiting had had passed away overnight to a pulmonary embolism. He'd been at the track the, the day before, as always, doing it, doing his, his duties. And, of course, his duties were multifold because he was a man of many hats. He was the race director safety delegate yeah technical responsibility you know he did absolutely absolutely everything he's been intrinsic to formula one for for a long time now and uh yeah i think the the reaction scott that everybody had to to it once they kind of come to terms with it and we saw black armbands and messages stuck on cars and just heartfelt and genuine tributes to to the guy i mean these always happen when when we lose somebody but this was this was on a on a different level you know people couldn't give their tributes fast enough and I think they were, they were sincere yeah I think um, I spoke to someone in the paddock on the on the day of the news on Thursday and they said that obviously you don't find people saying nasty things when when people have died but on this occasion it would be because you wouldn't be able to find someone who's gotten something bad to say about Charlie he wasn't perfect he wasn't a god but uh, you know he made, he made mistakes but what I thought what I think was amazing is that if anyone ever thought he made a mistake or anyone thought that his opinion was incorrect, they would never ever judge the um, the intent behind his decision. Then no one would ever question or scrutinise like the legitimacy behind it. They knew that Charlie would be basically the reason Charlie would have that opinion or position is because that's what he believed, and it wasn't personal. It wasn't based on a prejudice or anything like that. Um, so if he made an interpretation about the rules that a team didn't agree with, then like that wasn't cause for a massive argument. You could have a disagreement, but it would just be because that's how he sees it. And, and it's amazing that someone could be around in F1 for decades like Charlie was and have that position where you are in such a contentious environment as you are when you write the rule book and then have to Im- implement and interpret the rule book and not make any enemies. 
Like that, that is astonishing. It's a mark of the man's character and the respect everyone's got for him that every single per- to a person in the F1 paddock, there was just widespread shock and like devastation within the paddock. You could see just how much it hurt so so many people. It was such a shocking and horrible bit of news. I think the thing that stands out to me about about Charles, he was one of those people who had a should we say a quiet authority and a real mastery of technical matter anything he was he was talking about he'd, he'd analyze understand digest and he'd be able to make a cogent argument you know if you were going to disagree with him you had to have a a very very good good rational basis for doing it and i think he's just one of those people who made the the, the job many job roles he had work even when it put him into conflict with teams because he could do that he wasn't going to get angry with them it was just going to be right we do the job we work through this process that's the that's the resolution, and he worked with drivers, circuits, you know, absolutely, absolutely every aspect, pretty much of, of Formula One. He was he was at the heart of. He was the central point for everything at the top tier of motorsport. Just incredible. I I can't I can't do justice to the level of influence that he had, and I don't mean that from a power grabbing perspective, just by sheer commitment and ability. You know, just for the uh, for this weekend as an example, take an average Grand Prix weekend. You mentioned he was at the circuit on Wednesday because he was before doing the track walk and performing his usual in his, uh, you know, the a man of many hats, safety delegate role, race director role. He's going around doing the track walk, inspecting the circuit on the on the Wednesday. Then he would he should have been back at the circuit for the for remain, remaining four days, where his duties would have in- included everything from hosting the drivers' briefing, being the drivers and the teams points of contact for the entire weekend if they ever had any problems he'd be running race control he'd be uh deciding if something needs a safety car if a session needs stopped he'd be the man at the start line gantry um making sure that the 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 race start procedure goes off without a hitch then he'd be managing the team manager's briefing as well he'd and then when all of the race weekend stuff would go he'd, he'd, he'd disappear off and he'd probably be going flying to a, another circuit and he'd be doing a circuit inspection all, for all the while receiving emails from teams saying can we do this exactly can we do that Implement, Re- receiving, implementing receiving emails from journalists saying can you t- 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 try to check something and, you know, always, and always and replying always replying within 15 or 30 minutes that's the sort of common theme that i've picked up yeah. over the last few days this amazing ability to just constantly be reachable and polite and deal with it properly and when he's going away and doing all this stuff he's also as you say, implementing, interpreting his own rule book and checking and double checking and triple checking what teams are doing. He's also preparing for all his various FIA commission stuff, single-seater commission, circuit commission, roles on the F1 commission, a technical working group, things like that. Absolute joke that he was able to do this much. I just don't, I honestly, just so, so incredible that one person can do this. The biggest mark of respect will be that there will not be one man that's able to replace him they will have to split this amongst two three four roles minimum well this is the, the probably the most common thing people send their tributes that he is it irreplaceable in that regard and that's yeah that's certainly the case uh, a remarkable contribution to formula one and, and the whole world of motorsport i mean we talk about irreplaceable but obviously he did have to be replaced for the weekend avl uh, michael massey an australian again your specialist subject uh, stepped up to the plate for for this weekend. He was one of the sort of pool of deputy race directors that get that get used. Obviously, you know him from supercars. He is presumably he does appear to be one of the potential candidates to take up the race director element of, of Charlie Whiting's role. This weekend was purely a 
a situational right you're the guy to do it this weekend once so that's not a permanent replacement but he was someone whiting knew and presumably would have played a role in in using in the, using this so what, what do we know about him and is he somebody we think has probably got half a chance of, of being race director permanently I think so. I mean, he's sort of been the understanding we've had down here is that he's being, been being groomed for that position, and that he we were going to lose him in supercars at some point. He's been the deputy race director for quite some time. Actually, it was sort of funny. I mean, he he's in his debut as race director in Formula One. There wasn't a single safety car in that race, um, and the bloke who replaced him in supercars as the deputy race director, Dave Stewart, was dealing with um, blokes crashed into each other on warm up laps and. Um, Richie Stanaway and Lee Holdsworth trying to wall each other and then beat each other up in the pits and all this sort of stuff and um, had a much tougher weekend of it. But look, Michael's very experienced. Um, he is used to dealing with big personalities. You know, he, he's had to deal with that in supercars. And um, anyone I spoke to uh, in supercars land was going, yeah, this guy will be fine. And that's not just in terms of being dropped in the deep end for this weekend, but the fact he was off to Europe anyway. He was going to be working in, in F2 and F3 as race director this year anyway, and there's nobody who thinks, oh, he won't be up for that because, you know, he, he's used to it down here. It's um, it's still the big time in supercars. You're dealing with um, with some pretty strong personalities, and he seems to have always done a pretty good job of it. He certainly seems very well appointed, so we'll, we'll see what the FIS plan. But as we say, yeah, it's going to be many roles because technical side obviously Nicholas Tombasis is already the head of single seater affairs at FI presumably he'll get more involved on that side circuits there's various people who've played a big role in that kind of thing so there's some obvious candidates around but it's yeah just a, the the breadth of what Charlie Whiting did and brought to, to Formula One is uh it's astonishing we haven't even mentioned his career as a mechanic a head mechanic chief mechanic at, at Brabham with uh with Bernie Eccleston so yeah uh, so yeah, a big loss, and it, and it has cast a, a shadow over the uh, first Grand Prix of the season. But it's appropriate that uh, Valtteri Bottas dedicated his uh, his remarkable victory to uh, to Charlie Whiting. Well, thanks very much to AVL and to Scott Mitchell for your insight. Please check out Autosport.com for all the latest from the Australian Grand Prix paddock. We've uh, plenty of people running around trying to get the the, the post race reaction. There's some other big political things brewing, so. Yeah, keep checking out the website for that. And also check out Autosport Plus, where for a small fee, you'll be able to read the world's leading motorsport journalists on a variety of topics, everything from Formula One, World Rally Championship, IndyCar, it's all there. Please check out sister titles, motorsport.com, F1 Racing Magazine, out monthly, and Motorsport News, out every Wednesday. And if you fancy a flutter, download the Pit Stop Betting app. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. When Shopify says you can sell anywhere, oh, they mean it. Ooh, hold up. Just got a new sale. Order fulfilled and shipped. Inventory level's good. Whoa, Shopify doesn't mind if you're at sea level. Or on top of the world. Oh, you can run and grow your business anywhere. Climbing mountains is never easy, but at least Shopify gives me all the tools I need for my business to hit new beats. Whether you're selling carabiners or crop tops, start selling with Shopify today and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. We've built the platform so you can keep climbing and grow your business to new heights. With Shopify, you really can sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or seafloors. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.